save a little bit of it for later, will you, for Christ's sake? <clears throat> My name is Dick Martin, and I'm an alcoholic. Everybody, but for the grace of God and the actions, and a sponsor at Alcoholics Anonymous have been sober since September the 15th, 1965, and I'm very pleased about that. And I'm Peggy Martin, and I'm an alcoholic. And through the grace of God and fellowship of people and sponsorship, I've been sober since February the 4th, 1964, which makes me sober longer than him. And never, never lets me forget it. No. You know, we were talking at lunch. We were sitting with Peg's sponsor and a gal at Peg's sponsors, and we're sitting there, and Peg says, you know, doing this thing kind of reminds me, she said, I, I just, I think we're kind of an elderly Ken and Barbie. And I said, oh, God, I hope not. And I said, I don't mind being elderly, but I would not like to be considered Ken and Barbie. <laughs> uh, in the first place, just to give you a, give you some, if you're new to us, uh, which some of you are, uh, we'll be married 22 years, uh, August 12th this year, we, uh, after uh, having our first date on June the 6th, 1966, we got married a few weeks later. <laughs> she... Uh, it wasn't a whirlwind courtship or anything like that. Don't want to give you the wrong impression. She wasn't pregnant. No. Uh, Couldn't have been. Everybody. <laughs> well, we, we believe in courtship, even if they are short courtships. <laughs> <clears throat> Ours was not a uh, marriage that was made in heaven. It was boy meets girl on the AA campus, and uh, we went from there. Um, it, uh, we have a good marriage. We're not wonderful. Uh, she's not wonderful. I mean, I'm not wonderful. Uh, we uh, liberally take each other's inventories. Uh, at the most inappropriate time, <laughs> usually when the other one is sensitive. Yeah. Uh, the conversation usually starts out with, "I'm going to take your inventory now." I mean, we even let us let each other know that it's going to be hell for a few minutes. <laughs> um, but ours, our our relationship is a, a good relationship and a substantial relationship because of one very simple thing. And the simple thing is that we have put AA first in our lives. We have put the fellowship and the program and the ideals and the ideas of Alcoholics Anonymous first in our lives. That comes before, as I'm concerned, it comes before Peggy comes along. It comes before anything else comes along. That's first. And uh, I was taught early on that it's very wise to get into the fellowship before you attempt to get into a relationship. 
It was also taught that you shouldn't get into a relationship, an emotional relationship, uh, within the first year that you're sober. Now, mind you, if your arithmetic is working very good, I wasn't quite sober 11 months when we got married, and ours was not a uh, an emotional relationship. We did not get emotionally involved. It was based on lust until September the 15th. <laughs> now, she had been sober long enough, but I hadn't, so mine was just lust until September the 15th of that year, and then I began to develop an emotional relationship because that's the only way to do it. I, uh, I got married. I got, we were talking about getting married someday, and she said, how about next week? Friday. Yeah, how about next Friday? <clears throat> and I thought, my God, that's a little quick. But, you know, I thought I was talking about December. And uh, she uh, thought that was too far off, and uh, which was fine. And uh, I said, but we can't do it until I get in touch with my sponsor. And she said, why? And I said, because I promised myself that I wasn't going to make any major decisions in my life without talking to my sponsor first. And my sponsor was out of town at a convention, and I knew where he was, but I didn't know what hotel he was in, but I called his home and talked to his daughter, and his daughter told me, and I dialed a hotel in El Paso, Texas. He, he happened to be in his room, and I told him I, I'm, I was thinking about getting married. And he says, who are you thinking about marrying? Peggy? And I said, yeah. And he Yes, it'll be okay because she's been sober longer than you have. <laughs> and uh, he said, he warned me right at the very beginning. And uh, I'm the cruder one of the two up here. You'll hear some nicer things from her. Uh, he warned me at, at the very beginning. He said, Alcoholics Anonymous is in meetings in church basements. It comes in groups. And he said, when you all stay at home and talk about the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and all that sort of thing, that is not AA. It's ass to ass. I understand. Don't be insulted by it. No. He said, if you want to stay sober and continue to grow in your life, you'll go to AA meetings. When you go to meetings... If it's a discussion meeting, you'll sit at one table and she'll sit at the other. If it's a speaker meeting, you go and you stick with the guys and let her stick with the gals. It even gets to the point where the majority of the time when we go to a meeting, she takes her car and I take my car. I mean, we don't even go to meetings or come back to, back to home with each other. Uh, it seems to me that frequently we oftentimes end up meeting in bed. And that's not a bad place. <laughs> so I, uh, and speaking of Jim, he uh, was a little brown nose there, so I wouldn't take his inventory from the podium when he's defenseless. He always hates that when I do that. Uh, I told him the other day, you know, we were talking about doing this, and I told him the other day, I said, you know, I said, you're one of those people that, we have never really, that Peggy and I have never really sat down and talked to you and Amy about your relationship. I said, you must have learned about it before you got married. 
And I think that they did. I think that they learned about it before they got married. Not that everybody doesn't need a tune-up every now and then. Mm -hmm. But very simply, you know, they get along well. They get along well. And I think they get along well because his wife is active in Al-Anon and lives her program. And he is active in AA and he lives his program. And I think it works very well that way. I don't think that I need to go to Al-Anon to live with you. I don't think so either. (laughs) Strange way to turn it over, isn't it? One of the things that, that I think that we had noticed through the years, and I want, I, I'd like to say this, you know, we, as Dick said, we don't have a perfect marriage. I, whenever I hear anyone from the podium talk about how they have a perfect marriage, I always, I'm a little bit suspect of that because when you've got two alcoholics or an al- alcoholic and a, a person that suffers from alanonism together in a house, you've got two complete characters there. I mean, there is nothing boring about us. We are, we have these exaggerated emotions. You know, we're like, I always like drinking because it turned black and white TV into color, you know, and it's right in front of my eyes. And I think that's kind of the way our relationships are. They're, they're really in full technicolor. You know, we have, if we're going to, if we finally cross over the hump and decide that we're going to give ourselves to somebody, we do it. And I mean we do it probably to our own detriment at times. And what that does is that it, it makes for a very interesting combination of, of, of things and an interesting situation in, in the household. And one of the things that we noticed was through the years of having lived together and fought together, and I was so grateful we didn't have a fight today because it's hard to get up here and talk about traditions in relationships when you're mad at one. So we've been, we have been, we've been really nice. It isn't have, over yet. No, the day's not over. The day isn't over yet, and we may do it right up here. You never know. Uh, but you know, one of the things that we noticed was that that. Really, when we applied the principles in Alcoholics Anonymous in our lives, in our married lives, that we really had been doing that. You know, it's kind of like we're not smart or anything. We just kind of bumbled along and made a lot of mistakes. And I was reading AA Comes of Age one time, and I thought, you know, these battles and things that they had in the groups and stuff sounds like Dick and I. You know, it sounds like the battles that we've had, the the ego deflation that we have had, the the struggles and the pulling this way and that and the competition and, the, and all of that sort of thing within the family. It sounds like us. And it occurred to me that those problems that we had worked out, the way they had been worked out, was by using the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there is no place that these are embodied than they are in the traditions. You know, the traditions, and it, it was a long time before I realized this because I'm kind of dumb anyway about this kind of thing. I I'm not supposed to be, but I seem to be emotionally kind of dumb about these things. It occurred to me that every single one of the traditions was ego deflation at depth. It really had something to do with ego, which led to the second logical conclusion, and that was that I, as an alcoholic, must have a problem with ego in some fashion or another that I'm always having to get deflated. Now, I never knew how to be a true partner to anybody. Did, did you really, when you were drinking, I was always a loner. I was alone inside. I was alone in the crowd. I was a loner. I was so scared. I was so scared to let you have my feelings because I was afraid if you took my feelings that you were going to hurt me 
bad. And I'm not speaking of you, but the world at large. And so what I did was I medically sealed myself. I took a little can of Teflon spray and sprayed it all the way around my emotions. And I used men just like I used toilet paper. <laughs> no, not exactly. Not I'll exactly. I think maybe I ought to study this for a while. No, don't study this. I'll go over here. Don't study this. <laughs> Not exactly toilet paper, but something disposable, you know, something you can just... Better. Just be quiet now. I'm just trying to get myself out of this. <laughs> they were useful. They were useful as long as I was not involved with them. You understand? I mean, I didn't really, I never thought of myself as having relationships with people because I didn't give a damn about them. And I thought you had to give a damn about somebody to have a relationship with them. And I think that's true. You got one way or the other. You might have a hate relationship with somebody, but you got some feeling about them. I never had any feeling. I mean, I was sealed, you know, and I just went about my business that way. And he was the first person. Well, I was going with this guy who was a postman, and he kissed funny. Um, it hurt when he kissed, and so it wasn't. I didn't want to date him too frequently. But he got drunk and went crazy and commandeered an ambulance and barricaded himself inside his house with a double-barrel shotgun, so I figured that one was over. Thank goodness I wasn't around. So then I met him, and he was so persistent. He was, if, he was like, he was irritating. You know, he was everything I didn't think I wanted. You know, I'd always said to my mother, I'm going to marry a professional man. I'm going to marry somebody tall and dark. I'm going to marry somebody who has never been married before. And I'm going to marry somebody that is ro uh, sort of romantic. Well, I did marry a romantic. He is a romantic. But he is, he's not tall and dark. He's got a built like an outhouse, you know, sorry, <laughs> with blonde hair. He's sturdy, very sturdy. He's uh, a salesman, he, you know, which is a profession, I suppose. And the only thing I have to say about that, it, it kept you from starving. Ah, uh, you bet. Good living, good living. Salesman, he'd been married before, and he had, he had kids by this other marriage. This was un, not unacceptable to me. So to prove to you just exactly how unacceptable it was, I married him two months after I had the first date with him. It was, I told my mother, she said, what about this Martin fellow? You know, he was getting me boxes because I was moving. And she said, what about this Martin fellow? And I said, uh, yeah, he's a nice guy. It's too bad it'll never last. Well, that was 22 years ago. You know, so it just shows you I wasn't really with it. So we, we looked at things, and, and we just decided, you know, that that's what had been happening in our lives, and we decided to kind of go through them just on a lark to see how much they fit, and that's how this sort of came about. Uh, it, it was in hindsight. And I, you know, to, 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 to really get into it, you know, I had to allow this man who was, persistent and irritating and always there. He was always there. And he was always so nice. I figured he had to have something up his sleeve. And I, yeah, I know I what it was. I wanted something she had. Yeah, she did. I was willing to go to any lengths to he get it. He was willing to go to any lengths to get it. 
but he, he, was, he was even ready to take certain steps at that point. A little bit further on, he was ready to take certain steps. But he wanted to put off the steps till December or something, and I wanted, I had found at the, the, my, my night in shining armor, and I wanted to whisk him off, and, and he had bought a new car. He had first got, he had a Ford Falcon with bourbon bumps all over it, and it had stains in the front seat. Somebody had urinated. In the front seat. On the front seat on the driver's side. But it wasn't me. <laughs> so he traded in his Ford. I'm the only one who drove it, but. He traded in his Ford Falcon, and he got a Pontiac, hmm. but gold, Pontiac, Bonneville, Pontiac, whatever, convertible, which cost us more than, than our child support payments. And alimony. And alimony, right. Uh, the thing. I bought that the afternoon of June the 6th, 1966, by the way. I bought that the same afternoon that I had a date with Peggy, that our first date that night. <clears throat> I wasn't trying to impress her with material values. Oh. <laughs> Nothing grandiose. Anyway, so, and, and we ended up getting married, and these experiences, some of the experiences that we're going to share with you for a little while this afternoon are the good and the bad, because I have to, I've got to say this right off the bat. I love this man. I love him for everything that he is and the way that I feel when I am around him most of the time. But You're shorter than I am. You may be sober longer. But... <laughs> so, you know. But nothing stays wonderful forever. Nothing stays terrible forever. And I expected to go into marriage, into this relationship, and that it would be bluebirds of happiness. I never figured they'd crap on me from time to time. It was part of my adjustment to reality. You know, it was part of, I had just the same irreal, unreal expectations of this relationship as I did of everything else in my life. It was going to be marvelous. And it has been marvelous. But there have been times that, that have been interspersed that it hasn't been so marvelous. And sometimes the terrible times, the really bad times, are not as hard to live through as just the times, just day after day after day, just living together day by day by day. And that's hard. That's the hardest part, is to living when there's no thrill attached to it, you know, where you're just there. And I love this man. I respect him. I respect him most for his membership in Alcoholics Anonymous and the way that he is able to deal with the people that he deals with. Uh, one time my mother, we were thinking about characters, you know, the, the different things that made people up and what we admired about people. And she said, what do you admire about Dick? Well, I said, he's a great AA member and he's a good visitor. She said, a visitor? That's not very good. I said, yes, it is for somebody who is a non-visitor. I'm a non-visitor. I mean, if I, you got to have a purpose. You want to visit with me? State your purpose. I'm busy. You know, I got Dick will sit and visit with you for hours. He is so good. He comes from a long line of North Carolina porch sitters. 
He can just sit and visit. And he's so patient. He is much more patient tonight. So, the first tradition says, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. It also means that personal recovery depends upon the unity of the relationship. And that has to come first. The idea of staying together has to come first. That means the commitment for one person to stay with another, regardless of whether it's marriage or whatever it happens to be, whether it's simple friendship. It really doesn't make any difference, but there has to be a commitment to be where you are. It has to be a commitment on both sides. Both individuals have to be committed to be there, and they have to be committed on a daily basis. It isn't something that you say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be married forever, or like my first wife told me. She said, well, if this doesn't work out, we can always get a divorce. I didn't expect the marriage to last very long after that remark, and it really didn't. But uh, the point I'm trying to bring across, without commitment to be there, it isn't going to stay. And that commitment has to be on a daily basis. Some days you have to do it at a moment at a time. You know, I was, I was sober maybe... Uh, not sober, we were married maybe six months, and I remember making an AA talk and said, you know, the fortunate thing I've come to realize is that I'm only married to her at time. And I thought how wonderful that was of me, until later on I began to realize that she was only married to me a day at a time, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get a little wonderful in my ideas of thinking how wonderful I am in this whole deal occasionally, and uh, or frequently. doesn't make any difference which one it is. I feel somewhat martyred occasionally on a daily basis, but it's only a brief period of time, fortunately. And uh, and I don't try to hang myself up and do an Easter bit too often, but I do occasionally. And uh, I believe I believe that I observe her hanging in the shadow also occasionally. Yeah. And but we only have to do that. We only have to live together a day at a time. And uh, if things get too serious, we don't even have to do that because I can get up and go out and go I can go to a meeting. Or I can call a guy I sponsor. I can go have lunch with somebody. I can, I can get away from her easy. And principled, in a principled manner and legitimately and honestly, I can do that without hurting her feelings or without making her look less. And you know, another good trick on this one is about the unity business is I, I have always thought of this. Whenever, you know, in public, now this is in public, we, can, we may have differences and we can disagree privately, but I, I try very hard not to say bad things to other people about my husband in public. And that's not a phony thing. It's just that it gets to be a joke. It gets to be, it, you get carried away with it. At least I do. And I don't find that it's really their business what my personal disagreements with him are, except perhaps with my sponsor. But not, not in general, because it becomes a habit to jokingly put somebody down. And I always think of it as in private when we disagreements, we can, I never knew this, I grew, I went all through my life not knowing this, and it's so simple, you can disagree without being disagreeable, because see, to me, it was always a personal attack, because I was always, I always felt so, I had so little self-worth, 
that any time anybody said anything that was a disagreement with me, it made me feel less than. And so it was personal. I've learned that we can disagree without being disagreeable. It is not a personal attack. It is not a character assassination. We can disagree without being disagreeable and still have that unity. I always like to think of what, if when we get into these discussions at home about whatever it man manages to be, a lot of topics, is think of it, I always think of a newcomer standing at my shoulder. And how would I behave for that newcomer standing at my shoulder? I'm sure it's going to behave the way I do behave sometimes when I get upset, which is he is a very stoic person. He's very, he's quiet and deadly. You know, he'll get you, you know, in ways that are so effective. And I am the, the blithering idiot type that just blows like a, you know, I mean, I just, I always, 24 hours later, I always think, I, I could have said this and it would have been so effective, you know, and I, but I, I just, I'm right there, I'm going, I don't know, but you're just, I don't like your face at all, or I don't know, you know, I just, get out of here, or, you know, whatever, and, you know, if I, I wouldn't act like that if I had a new, new person there. Actually, while she's doing that, she thinks I'm being stoic, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm sitting there saying quietly in my mind, but never out loud, just keep it up, bitch, I'll get you later. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> that has no purpose in a in a true partnership. No, it really doesn't. I mean, it, it's effective, but it makes things exciting. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so the object the object is not to feed someone when they're you know when someone is feeling bad. Don't feed them either. Don't give them anything to. Don't put fertilizer on the situation. There's no sense making you know when you're wrong, say you're wrong. Hey, I was wrong. I'll try to do better. Oh, it just irritates me when he does that. <laughs> irritates yes, me. Yes, but it's AA, and she can't do anything no. about and it. No, and that's worse. It's worse, because then I have to act principled, you know, and that's hard sometimes. The one thing that I have learned more than I have learned anything else is that I never have to tell her I'm sorry. And I don't use that word at all. I don't use the word sorry. I never tell her I'm sorry. I absolutely, because I find oftentimes, I do things that are wrong, but I get a delight out of doing it. <laughs> and I'm really not sorry for the fact that I've done them. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm damn glad that I did them, but I'm sorry I got caught. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but he does say he's good at saying he's wrong. He was even he was good at saying he was wrong right from the beginning he was. And I was never good at saying that I was wrong or really even sorry because I have a basically kind of a little nasty personality you know I'm just a little nasty thing there and he's he's really been more honest from the beginning now I've I like to think that I've you know developed quickly along those lines and so we're sort of on a par but in the beginning I admired him for that I admired him for his honesty and I would tell him that and we'll get into talking about attaboys later on the second tradition says, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. This is one of my favorites because I need it so badly. Because I figure 
that I'm, I mean, I just have this innate sense that I'm the boss. I've always, I, I've just, my father is a, he retired as a lieutenant general from the Air Force, and he was the Surgeon General of the Air Force, and he was an, a graduate engineer as well. He was used, and in the military, and he was used to getting his way. And Dick always calls me uh, General when I get sort of bossy because it reminds me how much like my father I am. I just have this sense of being right and that if they would all just do things my way. And you know what ragging is where you just get to ragging on somebody? Can you ever stand outside yourself and watch yourself rag on somebody? I, you, as you all know, I am, uh, I have a sort of a, a middle linebacker personality. That's football team. And I'm, I'm, I'm not actually athletic, but I love to be participating in cheering for athletics. I have broken a rib that way. As a matter of fact, Phil McEwen broke my rib that way. We were excited over a touchdown, and it just happened. Uh, we were jumping up and down, and I heard it pop, and, and, I, and I sprained my ankle badly, and I twisted my knee, and this is all just watching it on TV. <laughs> so I have that, and I always wanted my son and my husband, I always said, you ought to teach Jimmy how to throw a ball. You know, you ought to teach him how to throw a ball. I can't throw a ball. I throw a ball like a sissy. I want you to teach him how to throw a ball. Dick said, I can't throw a ball. I said, well, I thought... Learn, you know. I mean, learn. It's not too late. You know, it's not too late. I, you know, he ne- didn't know how to swim because he, he was a mad scientist when he was a kid, and he mixed some stuff together. It blew up in his pocket, and it scarred him, and he never learned how to swim. So I figured he could learn to throw a ball, you know, something. I so, never learned how to swim because I was never near the water to learn how to swim. Oh, and they were poor. I've heard this before. Very poor. No, my my family was too busy drinking, yes. and they didn't have anything to do yes. with kids. Or water or nothing. Anyway. Certainly nothing thought, to do with so water I'm in my house. I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this. I'm watching this. I want to watch a ball game on TV or something. And they go, oh, no, it was basketball. Basketball. They said, don't, I told them, and I must say, I said, I'll never get into basketball. Never. Football is my game. I'll never get into basketball. Well, I... Just, why is just watching the finals? You know, I mean, I, I just watch the good basketball. Well, they're all moaning. Oh, no. Jimmy. Jimmy and Dick are moaning. They say, oh, no, she's into basketball now. You know. So they're sitting there, slobs in my mind. They're sitting there. And so I got righteous feeling like I should tell them what to do. Just this just uncontrollable feeling. So I said, you guys... I should be, look at me. The I'm ultimate a, authority. I am, I am a, I'm 50. And look at, I'm, I'm, and I'm, and you know, and, and you know, I said, I know right, I'm sergeant in charge of fat. I know how to do it, you know. And I said, you guys are nothing but a bunch of couch potatoes. You know, they're like, and I don't remember what Jimmy said, but it was something like, it's okay, it's all right, Mom. We just sort of hate you when you get like this. <laughs> I think I know right. I mean, I'm leading by example. When she gets like that, I just wait ten minutes because it goes away. <laughs> it's it's not being stoic. It's just knowing it'll disappear. You know. Oh, 
Things become less important after she says them. Yeah. But you... I think he just got me. <laughs> but I wasn't listening. <laughs> anyway, we got to... You know, one of the things that we have found is that we have to leave when it comes to really important things. The neat thing about us is that we have learned how to communicate. And we have learned how to laugh. He he is the funniest thing. He taught me how to laugh. I, I've always had a good sense of humor, but I forgot how to use it. And when I was drinking, my muscles atrophied. And they got stiff and I couldn't laugh because there wasn't anything funny. And uh, our first Christmas, we had no money. I mean, zilcho. We had no money. We owed everybody. You know, we had no money. And... He said, and I'm thinking, I'm saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I was always very spoiled. I'm not getting any Christmas presents. I'm never going to get a Christmas present ever again. I guess I'll just have to go out and make a 12-step call or something dumb like that. And he says, I got a present for you. Well, you know how our minds are. I said, that so-and-so. Now he's got me a present, and I don't have him a present. So he's just doing it to make me look bad. And I'm playing this in my mind. I'm not saying anything, but I'm playing this in my mind. So he said, just a minute. So he goes off in the bathroom, closes the door. It's the only door in the apartment except the front door. It's the bathroom. It's the only place you can get any privacy. So he goes in the bathroom, and he leaps. He comes leaping out of the bathroom, stark naked, <laughs> with a big red bow tied around his dingling. Here comes Santa Claus. Now that and I communication. Gave her, and I gave her that gift over and, and over and over again. The whole the reason the reason for saying this and the reason for talking. You know, life is for fun and for free, and it, that don't cost anything. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. it's fun. It is fun, and it can be fun, you know, and if it isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. Oh, dear Lord. Get, really? a red, get a red bow. Get a it's, pumpkin. Get something, you know. You know, it's... It's really like, you know, she made a statement, if, if it isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. It's, it's like staying sober, isn't it? It's like staying sober. If it isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. There's something wrong with what you're doing. And life should be fun. You should have, there should be joy in life. We should have a good time. And we should have a good time in our relationship with our partners, whatever it happens to be. We should have a good time. It's really for fun and for free. What can we do for fun and for free? What's good? You don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to impress your partner by buying dozens of roses or uh, diamond rings. Or where's Scott B? He, he's into, he used to be into that. There he is. He used to be in that before he met Mary. I don't, yeah. Mary wants him to go back to it. But. <laughs> a little, anyway. Oh, one rose. One rose. Oh, 
there's nothing that will bring a tear to a woman's eye like one red rose. And that nothing makes a man feel any more simple and stupid than walking into a house carrying one rose in his hand. A bundle of them I can understand. One rose, it's just like a little boy saying, gosh, here I am, Mommy. Don't we eat that up? Do we eat that up or not? Oh, the little boy. Third. Well, I think that we ought to say something about courtship just for a moment. I know it's an old-fashioned word, and it sounds strange to young people because they believe that they're supposed to get into a relationship, and relationship involves some moaning and grunting and things like that. And, you know, the guys that I sponsor, they say, well, I'm into our relationship, and I think, yeah, that's wonderful. You know, it'd be kind of nice if you got to be friends first. You know, it'd kind of be nice if you got to know each other first and know who likes what and where and why and when and all of those very simple things that a courtship has to do with it. A courtship obviously doesn't have to be long to be effective. You know, one thing that's fortunate, being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and being an alcoholic and living with another one or dating one, I already know what she's like. I know more about her, possibly even, than her, uh, certainly more about her than her parents do. Oh, yeah. Much more. Because I know what her insides are like because they're like my insides. And I know what her insides need. And I know what my insides need. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I found out that I don't need someone to love me. I really don't need someone to love me. But I need somebody to love. I have love within me to give. And I need somebody to love. I don't need somebody to love me. If they love me in return, that's icing on the cake, baby. But I can love and just simply love. He's better at it, too, than I am because he's very giving. And it took a long time for me to do that because I think I was more frightened, maybe. But I know that, that in, in our communication and in our courtship and being, you know, in the beginning, I think we were, we were like very careful with each other's feelings because we didn't know each other that well. But as we have grown in understanding and respect, we, I'm hooked on to you. I know. Um, <laughs> um, we have we have been able to develop more of a sense of humor and and to to josh each other a lot more. He used to he used to walk by me and slap me on the behind, and I never liked that. I never liked that because uh, to me it was demeaning, and I I I at first wouldn't tell him about that because I was afraid that it would upset something, but. Eventually, I became sure enough in our relationship that I would be able to say that to him, and he quit. You know, he quit because he didn't want to do anything that was going <laughs> to It's okay to pat. <laughs> Wait a minute. We've got to get on with this, you know. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Oh, please. <laughs> Three. Okay. We got, you got to value the right of the opinion of, the, uh, of your partner. you got to listen to it. you got to listen to what they have to say. And not with a closed mind, but with, with an open mind. You'd be amazed how many times your partner has a better idea on how to bring something about than you do. 
And that goes for both sides. You know, you've got to feed each other your opinion, not demanding that your opinion be the only thing, not demanding that this has to be the way, but simply being able to express what you feel about the situation. And keep an open mind. Keep an open mind rather than it, oh, it's always having to be my way or personally involved in the whole thing. Keep an open mind. I've got to start on this one. You start on the last one. Let's not fight. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Okay. I'm married to an alcoholic. She's married to an alcoholic. The only requirement for our membership in that partnership is a desire to stop drinking because if she gets drunk, I pack her a suitcase, it goes on her front steps, and she goes out before it, and that's it. I am not made of Al-Anon material. She stuck around. She stuck around. I couldn't have put up with me drinking. As a matter of fact, it damn near killed me putting up with me drinking, much less trying to put up with somebody else drinking. I refuse to do that. I just will not do it. I won't tolerate it a goddamn minute. So really, the desire that we have to keep this thing together starts with each individual's desire to stay sober, you know, to be an active part of the Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I don't know what would happen if we didn't do this. You know, we just always have. We've always been active members. It's always been a basis for our relationship. We've always gone to a lot of meetings. We've always had sponsors. We've always done those things. So I don't know what it would be like if it wasn't that way. But I know what it's like now, and I don't want to change that. Drinking on either part would impugn the integrity of the individual to such a point that there's no relationship exists. Nothing remains. There has to be integrity. I have to have my integrity. She has to have her integrity. There's, and you can't cross those lines. If you cross over those lines, then it's trouble, and it's trouble city. And, and drinking for an alcoholic is crossing over those lines. City. It's giving yourself away piece by piece by piece all over again. And I've done that once, and I did it for years, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I am a valuable human being, and I deserve to live as a valid, valid human being, and I will not live in any other fashion. You know, there's a lot of expectations that we have when we go into relationships of uh, mine was the white charger and that he was going to sweep me off my feet and he was going to be this tremendous sex partner because I knew so little about sex, and I really did. I knew a lot about, you know, the other stuff, but I didn't know about clean and healthy sex. I knew about the other stuff. I knew about intimidation. I knew about backseats of cars and stuff like that, but I didn't know what a healthy sex relationship was all about. And and he taught me, and we had some problems with that. We had a lot of problems with that, but through those sorts of things we learned. But I'll tell you something. There's a couple of things I remember that come up in this tradition. One of them is Clancy has a great story about a couple. The first few months that they're together or that they have this relationship, their hands touch across the breakfast table. <laughs> <laughs>